What's up, everybody? My name is Andy Snikowski, and you are listening to the History of Birdland podcast. This is episode number four, and for the first time since I've been doing this podcast, we're actually going to do something that is a bad moment or a bad memory for the Baltimore Orioles. Well, not all bad, but we're going to talk about the 1997 American League Championship Series between the Baltimore Orioles and the Cleveland Indians, and I say not all bad because... That 1997 season was special for so many reasons. It just didn't end the way we had all hoped it would. So we're going to talk about that. But I wanted to thank anyone who has listened to the podcast so far. Like I said, this is episode number four. The first three episodes you can hear on any of your major podcasting avenues, uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anywhere you can get podcasts, you can listen to this show. The first three episodes, real quick, were uh, the opening of Oriole Park was my debut episode. We did a player profile on Eric Davis, and then last week's show was a recap of Game 162 of the 2011 season. So let's get right into it. The 1997 American League Championship Series between the Cleveland Indians and the Baltimore Orioles First, a little background. Let's look at how both of these teams got to where they were. First, the Cleveland Indians. Actually, out of all the division champions in the American League, the Cleveland Indians actually had the worst record. Uh, they won the Central Division at 86-75. and 75. Uh, They still won the division by six games. The Central Division that year was really down. Uh, no other team finished above 500 in the American League Central. So the Indians went 86-75, and 75, winning that division. As for the Orioles, we all know what they did in 1997. If you're an Orioles fan, you're obviously you're an Orioles fan if you're listening to this podcast. The Orioles, 98-64, and 64, best record in the American League. They went wire to wire in 1997. From day one until day 162, they were in first place in the Eastern Division. A tight race in the East because the Yankees were right on their tails. Uh, 96 and 66, the Yankees finished in the East, just two games behind the Orioles. But that's how those two teams finished the regular seasons. In the playoffs, in the first round, the American League Division Series, uh, the Orioles faced off with the Seattle Mariners. The Orioles beat the Mariners three games to one. Uh, one of the moments in that series that stands out for me was Jeff Rebelay hitting a home run against Randy Johnson in one in one of the games in that series. Uh, so the Orioles easily take care of the Mariners three games to one. The Indians had a hard-fought series, went all five games, uh, but they edged out the New York Yankees three games to two to set up this rematch because in the 1996 playoffs, the Orioles faced the Indians in the division series. The Orioles pulled off the upset, and I say upset because the Indians were coming off of an American League championship the year before. They went to the... Uh, World Series in 1995, lost to the Braves in six games. So they're coming in, having a great season, going into the playoffs, and then they lose in the first round to the wild card Orioles. So a rematch from the 1996 playoffs. So here we go. We're going to go game by game, break down what happened in the 1997 ALCS. Uh, so game one, October 8th in Baltimore. Of course, the Orioles had the better record. So they uh, had home field advantage throughout this American League Championship Series. Real quick, starting lineups for Game 1. Uh, for the Indians, Bip Roberts, second base, batting first. Omar Vizquel, batting second, playing shortstop. Manny Ramirez, 
batting third, playing right field. Jim Tomey, first base, batting fourth. David Justice, batting fifth and DHing. Matt Williams, uh, their third baseman, batting sixth. Sandy Alomar Jr., their catcher, batting seventh. Brian Giles, batting eighth, playing left field. And Marquise Grissom was the center fielder uh, for the Indians, batting ninth. Chad OJ would get the game one start for the Cleveland Indians. On the other side for the Orioles, Brady Anderson leading off, playing center field. Roboto Alomar, one of my personal favorites back in the day. Even before he made it to the Orioles, I always loved watching Alomar play. He was batting second and playing second base, of course. Geronimo Baroa, right fielder, batting third. Rafael Palmero batting fourth and playing first base. B.J. Surhoff in left field, batting fifth. Cal Ripken Jr., third base, batting sixth. Harold Baines, DHing, batting seventh. Lenny Webster was the catcher for the Orioles here, batting eighth. And Mike Bordick was the shortstop, batting ninth. Scott Erickson got the game one start for the Orioles. And the Orioles started the game off pretty well. Bottom of the first inning, Brady Anderson, home run, right off the start. A leadoff home run for Brady Anderson, making it one nothing Orioles. They would score two more in the third inning. Another home run, this time it was Roboto Alomar. So the top of the lineup, really producing for the Orioles, Brady Anderson, a solo home run in the bottom of the first inning, and then Robbie Alomar, Hit a two-run home run. So the Orioles, their top two guys producing all the runs, all the hits, and really all that they needed. The Indians were unable to score in this first game and uh, only only had four hits. Actually, both teams pitched pretty well, if you really think about it, because the Orioles, they only had six hits. And I just told you two of them <laughs> with Robbie Alomar's home run and Brady Anderson's home run. Uh, so the Orioles would wind up winning that, winning this game uh, three to nothing, taking game one of the series. Scott Erickson really pitched great in this game. Pitched eight innings, gave up four hits, no runs, three strikeouts, no walks, ninety-one pitches too. Really efficient for Scott Erickson in game one of this series. Of course, Randy Myers, uh, the the great closer for the Orioles, came in in the ninth inning to uh, pick up his second save of the postseason. Chad OJ didn't pitch. Bad, I guess you could say, for the Indians in game one. Uh, six innings pitched, uh, did give up six hits, three runs, uh, three walks, three strikeouts. Um, Brian Anderson uh, came up in mop-up duty for the Indians. So the Orioles take game one, three to nothing, feeling good. The number one team in the American League, 49,029 was the attendance at Oriole Park for this game one win. So. If you're the Orioles, you got to be feeling good. You're the best team in the American League. You you completely dominated the Indians here in game one. You got game two in Baltimore the next night. So what could go wrong? But let's move on to game two. So game two for the Indians Orioles of the American League Championship Series. Now, I'm not going to go through the lineups again because they're basically the same lineup with a couple changes here and there. But the starting pitchers for game two, Charles Nagy for the Indians, Jimmy Key for the Orioles. And the Indians this time get the game off started really well for them. Top of the first inning, uh, Manny Ramirez, two-run home run in the first inning uh, to give the Indians an early 2-0 lead, so that got them off started well. The Orioles wouldn't take too long to respond, however. In the bottom of the second, the Orioles would strike back with their own two-run home run. Cal Ripken goes deep. Uh, for the Orioles in the bottom of the second inning to tie the game at two apiece. And that score would remain that 
until the bottom of the sixth inning where the Orioles would strike again. This time, Mike Bordick singled with the bases loaded. Two runs would score. Uh, B.J. Surhoff and Cal Ripken. Chris Hoyles advanced to third base, and Bordick actually advanced to second base. There was a throwing error on that play. So Mike Bordick comes through huge in the bottom of the sixth inning, giving the Orioles a 4-2 to lead in the sixth inning. And you would think, with the Orioles' tremendous bullpen, uh, that got them to where they are in this in this season. This game's over. They're up four to two, but this Indians team. I mean, I went over the lineup in game one, and what a tremendous lineup it was. But the guy who comes through here is not a guy you would you would expect in the top of the eighth inning. You know, you got guys like Jim Tomey and Manny Ramirez. And David Justice, like a lot of good power hitters. But in the top of the eighth inning, Marquise Grissom comes through, hits a three-run home run off Armando Benitez in the top of the eighth inning to give the Indians a 5-4 lead. I hate to I hate to point this out right now, but I feel like we're gonna be saying Armando Benitez's name a lot in this series. And no offense, but just he was a great pitcher. He had he had his moments, and of course he went to the Mets. After he left the Orioles, and he was a really good closer for them, but I just feel like looking back at these mid-90s teams, these great teams of the Orioles, any time a big home run was hit by the opposing team, it seems like Armando Benitez was the guy on the mound. So here we are, Game 2, American League Championship Series, a two-run lead, and Armando Benitez gives up a huge, huge three-run home run to give the Indians lead 5-4. to four. The Indians would close it out in the top, in the bottom of the ninth inning. Jose Mesa, their closer, was able to dispatch of the Orioles pretty easily. And so the Indians come back with a huge, huge win. And you could argue a series-changing win. The Orioles were just a couple outs away from taking a 2-0 lead into into Cleveland. And Marquise Grissom comes through with a huge home run in the top of the eighth inning, gives the Indians the 5-4 win. So now we're tied. One game apiece in the American League Championship Series as we head to Game 3, which to me, as a fan, was probably the most frustrating game of this series for the Orioles. And I'll, and I'll explain why. This was a very well-pitched game by both sides, but especially by the Orioles. So game three in Cleveland, obviously they get the day off. So game two was on October 9th. Game three is on October 11th. Again, not going to really go through the lineups. Basically the same guys playing. Um, But again, the starting pitchers, Mike Messina for the Orioles, Oral Hershiser for the Indians. And this was... I believe Mike Messina's coming out party. You know how when they say when you vote for a Hall of Famer, you know, when was the one time they were one of the dominant top players in the game? This series, for me, Mike Messina was the best player on the field in that series. He was the most dominant. And this was a very well-pitched game by both sides. Mike Messina actually, at the time, tied a league championship series record. He pitched seven innings, gave up three hits, one earned run, two walks, 
19 strikeouts for Mike Messina. And with the power of the internet, I was actually able to find a video with all 15 strikeouts. So it's going to take a couple minutes, but here are the 15 strikeouts Mike Messina had in game three of the American League Championship Series. Mike Messina. Well, the thing you don't realize about Mike Messina, he leads all active pitchers in winning percentage coming into the postseason at 105 victories against 49 losses in that divisional round over the outside corner one away this Kel strikes out back to back strikeouts to put out two three and in a blink two out nobody on here in the bottom of the first three balls two strikes two out nobody on and Messina struck out the side One away is just a strikes out, and that's four strikeouts for Messina. Three balls, two strikes. Over the outside corner, one away, and that's five strikeouts for Messina. Quick and easy for Messina in strikeout number six. He found it. Over the outside corner, and that will take care of the first three innings. Now eight. It struck him out two gone. That is strikeout number 10. That's 11 strikeouts for Messina through five. And another strikeout 95 miles per hour from Messina. That's number 12. A ball and two strikes on Roberts. And now he's gone. Strikeout number 13 from Mike Messina. 14 strikeouts to tie the LCS record for Messina. That is 15 strikeouts for Messina, an LCS record. What a tremendous performance by Mike Messina in this game, but even with all those strikeouts, he gave up the run in the bottom of the seventh inning. Uh, Matt Williams came through with a single in the bottom of the seventh inning that gave the Indians the lead. And Oral Hershiser, we talked about him. He was not as dominant as Mike Messina, but he still had a pretty damn good game himself. He also pitched seven innings, only gave up four hits, one walk. He struck out seven. So not a bad day for the uh, for the old veteran as well. And the Orioles were down one to nothing as we entered the ninth inning. So the Orioles need something here in the top of the ninth, and they and they go up against the Indians closer, Jose Mesa where Brady Anderson comes through here with a double to center field. Jeff Rebele wound up scoring, so the Orioles tie the game in the top of the ninth inning, and we go into extras. And the 10th inning, nothing. The 11th inning, nothing. So we go to the 12th, and this is one of the craziest end-of-game scenarios that I've ever seen, just in general. And the fact that this happened in the middle of a playoff series is even crazier. So bottom of the 12th inning, here's what happens. Brian Giles leads off for the Indians. He strikes out. Marquise Grissom, he walks. Tony Fernandez comes up. He singles to right field. Grissom advances to third. So he's the winning run. So here's where the craziness happens. And I'm going to play it for you and then try to explain it afterwards. Here comes Grissom. And safe at the point. Indians win this count missed it. 
Thompson arguing that the ball was fouled off by Vizquel. Davies saying you've got to get some help that it was a foul ball. It looked like it was a foul ball to me. All played up by John Hurstbeck saying that Grissom is safe at home. This looked like a foul ball. Here comes Grissom. Squeeze was on. Did he foul it? Webster dropped it. Grissom touches home. The game's over. So there it is. Omar Vizquel tries to lay down a bunt. The Orioles thinks he foul-tipped it, but the Indians claim that he didn't. The umpire claimed that he didn't. So Marquise Grissom steals home. Game over. The Orioles came out to argue. Davey Johnson came out to argue, but to no avail. And it was just the weirdest ending to a baseball game I can ever remember seeing. So the Orioles lose. 2-1 Two to one in twelve innings, despite having Mike Messina throwing the game of his life, seven innings, fifteen strikeouts. So now the Indians take the lead in the series, two games to one, after this two to one victory in game three. So the Orioles are kind of reeling here. Game two, they had a two run lead late in the game. They give up a big home run and the Indians win. Then here in game three, they get a tremendous pitching performance by Mike Messina. Doesn't matter. They lose two to one. And now they're behind two games to one. They got two more games in Cleveland before they can go back home to Baltimore. So game four is pivotal. So let's move on to game four. Game four of the American League Championship Series, October 12th. Again, not going to really go through the lineups because, again, same guys. The Orioles send out Scott Erickson, who pitched a tremendous game one, as we just talked about. Jarrett Wright is the pitcher for the Cleveland Indians here in game number four. This game, not as good for Scott Erickson (laughs) as game one was. Scott Erickson pitched eight innings, gave up no runs in game one. So if you're an Orioles fan, you're probably feeling pretty confident. Scott Erickson pitched very well in game one. You would hope he could pitch the same in game four and maybe even this series up. It didn't happen that way. But then again, there was no good pitching in this in this game. So the first three games, pretty good pitching on both sides with a couple big hits here and there. Game four, no pitching. Here's the two stat lines of the of the pitchers in game four. Scott Erickson pitched four and two third innings, gave up eleven hits, six earned runs, one walk, three strikeouts, two home runs. Jarrett Wright. Not much better. He pitched three innings, gave up six hits, five runs, struck out three, gave up three home runs. So let's let's go through what happened here in game number four. So the Orioles would start the scoring in the top of the second inning. B.J. Surhoff got the scoring going. He doubled. Cal Ripken scored, give the Orioles a one nothing lead. The Indians would strike back pretty quick. Bottom of the second inning, Sandy Alomar would hit one of those home runs Scott Erickson gave up. It's a two-run shot, and the Indians take a 2-1 to lead in the bottom of the second inning. The Orioles would respond pretty quick and had a tremendous top of the third inning. Brady Anderson, home run. Harold Baines, two-run home run. And then Rafael Palmero, home run. So three home runs in the top of the third inning. And the Orioles go down, go from being two to one down 
to leading five to two. But like I just said, this game was a crazy one. Back and forth, neither team could pitch very well. So the Orioles take a five to two lead in the top of the third inning. We have a little bit of a lull, but in the bottom of the fourth, the Indians get try to get back into it, and they do. Marquise Grissom, a guy we've mentioned a lot already in this series, is in the middle of another run scoring opportunity for the Indians. He singles in the bottom of the fourth, drives in a run. So now that the lead has been trimmed from five to three in the bottom of the fifth, this is when the Indians kind of break out a little bit and Scott Erickson's day comes to an end. The inning starts with Manny Ramirez. He's actually the second batter up in the inning. He homers off of Scott Erickson to make it five to four. And then later in the inning, Sandy Alomar Jr., he singles, Jim Tomey scores, David Justice goes to third, we're now tied at 5-5, five to five. and then again, a guy who's in the middle of everything it seems like for the Indians in this series, Marquise Grissom is batting, but he actually doesn't do anything. Two runs score on a wild pitch, David Justice scores, and then Alomar, he scores on a, on a throwing error by the catcher, so... A wild pitch turns into two runs scored, and then all of a sudden the Indians go from being down five to three, and now they're up seven to five as we end the fifth inning. So a little bit of a lull, but not much, <laughs> not much uh, in the scoring until we get to the top of the seventh inning. Geronimo Barroa singles into left field. Brady Anderson would score, and then now the lead is seven six Cleveland. So back and forth scoring from both of these teams. There would be no more scoring until the top of the ninth inning. Rafael Palmero singles. Robbie Alomar scores. The Orioles tie the game again. Another late inning tie for the Orioles. They did it in game three, and now they do it here in game four. They just won't give up. But, but, but in the bottom of the ninth inning, and guess who was pitching for the Orioles? <laughs> Sandy Alomar Jr. He singles into the outfield. Manny Ramirez would score. The Indians win another walk-off here in Game 4. Armando Benitez was pitching for the Orioles. So that's already the second game in this series that Armando Benitez was pitching when the Indians were took the lead in this in the game. He pitched he was pitching in game two when he gave up the three run home run to Marquise Grissom. And here he's pitching in the bottom of the ninth and gave up the single to Sandy Alomar that had the Indians win. So two of the three losses in this series so far for the Orioles, Armando Benitez was on the mound. So just take that just just put that in the back of your head as we continue breaking down this Heartbreaking 1997 ALCS. So again, the Orioles, another tough loss. That is three straight one-run losses. They lost game two, five to four. They lost game three, two to one. And now they lose game four, eight to seven, and find themselves down three games to one in the series. And now game five, the Cleveland Indians can close out the series and advance to the World Series. So let's move on to game five. Game five, October 13th. American League Championship Series, uh, the starting pitchers for the Orioles and the Indians for the Orioles, Scott Kamenicki, he goes on for the, for the Birds. Chad OJ pitches for the Cleveland Indians. And this is, again, another 
pretty well-pitched game. So it seems like game four was kind of the anomaly in this series, where every other game there was good pitching and then an occasional clutch hit by one of the teams. Uh, game Game four was 15 runs being scored by the two teams. I don't think they scored 15 runs combined in the rest of the series. We'll figure that up at the end of it. But yeah, they scored more runs in game four, it seems like, than the other games combined. So let's look at game five in Cleveland, the last game in Cleveland, potentially last game of the season if the Orioles can't pull off the win. Here's the scoring. Top of the third, Geronimo Baroa comes up with another big hit. He singles, it scores two runs, and the Orioles take a 2-0 lead. There would be no more scoring in this game until the top of the ninth inning. And we talked about this. If you listen to my Eric Davis player profile episode, this was the defining moment for Eric Davis as a Baltimore Oriole. So game five in Cleveland, the Orioles are up two to nothing. And I'm going to play it for you again because it's such an awesome moment. Eric Davis comes to the plate in the top of the ninth inning. A ball and two strikes on Eric Davis leading it off in the ninth inning. And that's well hit into left center field. Roberts back, looks up, and it's gone. Eric Davis goes deep here in the ALCS to make it 3-0 Orioles. And you cannot say enough about Eric Davis, what he is made up of, what he has gone through since the middle of June, diagnosed with colon cancer, undergoing an operation to remove that cancerous tumor, going through chemotherapy, and the inspirational leader not only for the Orioles, but so many people hit with cancer across this country. So there's the call. Eric Davis hits the solo home run in the top of the ninth inning, making it 3-0 later on in that inning. I mean, right after Davis, Palmero doubles, Ripken singles. Now it's 4 nothing Orioles, and you don't know how important those runs were <laughs> because in the bottom of the ninth, usually dependable Randy Myers gave up a couple runs. So he, so here's how the bottom of the ninth inning went for the Orioles, or for, for the Orioles in the field, but in the Indians at the plate. David Justice led off the inning with a single. Matt Williams came up. He doubled. Justice would score. They finally get an out with Sandy Alomar. He flies out to right field. And then Tony Fernandez, he doubles, and Williams scores. All of a sudden, it's 4-2. to two. So if those two runs in the top of the ninth inning don't happen, the Indians would have come back to tie it. But then, finally, uh, Myers settles down, gets the next couple guys out. The Orioles take game five, 4-2. And now the series... Swings back to Baltimore. The Orioles live to see another day. The series is now Cleveland 3, Baltimore 2. But again, the Orioles got to win two more in a row to extend their season and get into the World Series. So let's get right into a Game 6 American League Championship Series. The Indians heading into this game with a 3-2 lead in the series. Pitching for the Orioles in this game. Mike Messina back on the mound. Charles Nagy on the mound for the Indians. And just like we talked about earlier in the show, this was a series dominated by pitching and game six would be no different. So game six, no runs are scored in the nine innings. None. So the Orioles and the Indians heading into extra innings just to add to the tension, you know, just add, add to the stress of this game. 
And then in the top of the 11th inning, Tony Fernandez, out of all the players on this Indian squad, he's the one that comes up and hits a monster home run in the top of the 11th inning off of guess who? Armando Benitez. Armando Benitez gives up another big home run, and this one, unfortunately, seals the fate for the Baltimore Orioles. In the bottom of the 11th inning, the last chance for the Orioles, they go pretty quietly. Chris Hoyles leads off the 11th, strikes out swinging. Uh, Lenny Webster then comes up and grounds out, so there's two away. Brady Anderson singles to right field, but then Robbie Alomar comes up and he strikes out looking. Series over. Orioles lose one to nothing in game six. They lose the series four games to two. Even though another great pitching performance by Mike Messina, we talked about his game three. I played you all 15 strikeouts that he had in game three. Well, in game six, he was arguably even better. He pitched eight innings, gave up one hit, walked two, struck out 10. So Mike Messina struck out 25 batters in the two starts that he made. But on the other side, Charles Nagy was just as good. Now, he gave up a lot of hits, but no runs. Charles Nagy went seven and a third, gave up nine hits, walked three, struck out four, but no earned runs. The Indians win the series. Four games to two, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. I can't, I can't even begin to describe as a kid watching this. So let, let's go through some of the stats from the series. Uh, let's look at the Indians first since they were the winners. Some of the standouts in this series, Tony Fernandez, the guy I just mentioned who hit the game-winning home run, he led the Indians with a three fifty-seven batting average. David Justice hit three thirty-three. Manny Ramirez only hit 286, but he hit two home runs, three RBIs. Marquise Grissom was the ALCS MVP. He had six hits, four RBIs, one home run, scored two runs, had a 261 batting average, and he also stole three bases. So he was a very intricate part of the Indian success in this series. As for the Orioles batting, Brady Anderson led the way for the O's, hitting 360, hit two home runs, three RBIs. That's pretty good for a leadoff hitter. Harold Baines hit 353 in the series, uh, one home run, two RBIs. Cal Ripken also had a really good series, uh, hit 348, one home run, three RBIs, eight hits. Uh, Geronimo Baroa actually had a pretty decent series, hitting 286. Uh, and then after that, the, the numbers just start to go down. Pitching wise, the guy who led the way, I, I've already said it, Mike Messina. Two starts, 15 innings pitched, 25 strikeouts, one earned run, only four hits in those 15 innings, a .6 ERA, and he had no decisions. None. No decisions. He pitched two fantastic... Just looking back at these stats, I don't even know why I decided to do this show. Looking back at these stats and looking back at what happened in this series, it, it just makes you angry. How can you have somebody like Mike Messina pitch that well in two games, and you lose both games. Doesn't make any sense. 25 strikeouts. He gave up four hits, one earned run in 15 innings. Both games they lost. Incredible. The guy who I've been kind of crapping on this entire episode, 
Armando Benitez, well, guess what? He had the worst ERA on the team in this in this series. He only pitched three innings, but he gave up three hits, four runs, four walks, had a 12 ERA. I mean, maybe I'm being a little harsh on Armando Benitez because in this 1997 season, even though he pitched very well in the regular season, had a 2.45 ERA in over 70 innings pitched, he was still very young. He was in his early 20s when this series was happening, but it just seemed like every big moment that the Indians had, Armando Benitez was in the middle of it. He was on the mound, and it was just so frustrating to go back and watch these highlights and and relive those painful memories. As for the Indians, obviously they go on to the World Series because of this four games to two win in the ALCS. They lose in the World Series, and one of the strangest World Series of all time because I'm pretty sure, I'd have to look this up, but I'm pretty sure this is the only World Series where they alternated wins every game. Game one, Marlins. Game two, Indians. Game three, Marlins. Game four, Indians. Game five, Marlins. Game six, Indians. Game seven, Marlins. No no team had a winning streak in this series. The Florida Marlins win their first ever world championship after just coming into the league a few years earlier. What what a team that was. I mean, we're not going to dive into it, but if you remember that 1997 Florida Marlins team just stacked from top, top to bottom. So the Indians beat the Orioles and then go on to lose in the World Series four games to three to the Florida Marlins. So to put a bow on this, uh, a lot of of turnover after this. Uh, The Orioles would not see another winning season after this 1997 campaign until 2012. Not too long after the season, uh, Davey Johnson actually left, and after, after he had two really good years, in Baltimore, he uh, unceremoniously left the team, but there were reports of him and Peter Angelos really never getting along. And there's a story that I found that I really didn't know that much about. Because again, I was born in 1986. I was only, what, 11 years old when this happened. I didn't know all the ins and outs of the Orioles franchise, but this is a story that I found in my research. Um, Johnson and the Orioles owner, Peter Angelos never got along. In fact, the two men almost never spoke to each other in the two years that Davey Johnson was the manager. The end reportedly came when Johnson fined Roberto Alomar for skipping a team banquet back in April of 1997. And he skipped an exhibition game against the Rochester Red Wings during the 1997 all-star break. The Red Wings were the Orioles AAA affiliate at the time. Johnson ordered Alomar to pay the fine by making out a check to a charity for which his wife served as the fundraiser. However, Alomar donated the money to another charity after the players union advised him of the possible conflict of interest. Davey Johnson's telling him to donate to his charity or a charity of his choosing because his wife runs it. So in the negotiations after the season, Angelos let it be known that he was considering firing Johnson for the Alomar fine, believing his conduct was not appropriate. Johnson was prepared to admit that he made an error in judgment regarding the fine, but Angelos demanded Johnson admit that he acted recklessly in not leaving the decision up to him, Peter Angelos, which presumably would have given Angelos grounds to fire Johnson for cause. Johnson refused to do so. So Johnson had his doubts on whether he would return uh, for the final year of his contract. And after a spirited 90-minute phone call, apparently, between Johnson and Angelos a week later, 
that was the last time they spoke. He offered his resignation by fax, and Angelos accepted on the same day that Johnson was actually named the American League Manager of the Year on November 5th. So, so just think about that. Davey Johnson's named the 1997 American League Manager of the Year, and later that day, his resignation is accepted by Peter Angelos and the Orioles. Johnson did not express any bitterness in his time with Baltimore, although Angelos released a text of his response letter to the resignation stating that Johnson's letter, and I quote from Peter Angelos, fails to recognize the real issue posed by your imposition and handling of the Alomar fine and your divisive statement to the press in July that unless the Orioles got to the World Series, you would not be permitted to return. Your own actions and conduct, not mine, have produced the fulfillment of your prophecy. So basically, (laughs) this all stemmed from Davey Johnson trying to find star Roboto Alomar because he didn't show up to a couple of things. Peter Angelos being mad that he tried to take it into his own hands and not let him handle it. And then apparently in July of that year, Davey Johnson hinted at that if he didn't go to the World Series or win the World Series, he would be fired. And Peter Angelos is saying that is not true. So a very, very messy breakup here at the end. After two really good seasons in 1996 and 1997, Davey Johnson is out. They hired Ray Miller as the new manager for the Orioles in the 1998 season, and the Orioles would not see another winning season until 2012. And so just a bad series to a, uh, and a bad end to a great season. And then the Orioles just were not relevant until 2012. So just a crazy ending to this. One more stat that I wanted to throw out before we end this, the Orioles in the ALCS, all four losses to the Indians were by one run. Two of them happening in extra innings. The Orioles actually outscored Cleveland 19 to 18 and they outhit them 54 to 40. So in every conceivable fashion, the Orioles dominated this series and they still lose four games to two. That's why as they say, that's why you play the game. So I hope you enjoyed, I guess this podcast. <laughs> it's kind of hard to enjoy something that brought so much pain. Now, this was the first episode that we've done that I've done as a bad moment in Orioles history, but I hope you enjoyed listening to me rant about how Armando Benitez gave up monster home runs, how the Orioles wasted fantastic starts by Mike Messina, and then how Davey Johnson got fired at the end of the year, or not fired, but he resigned. It's just crazy series and a crazy, crazy end to a a really good two-year run by the Orioles. And again, like I said, they would not see a winning record again until 2012. So thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. Again, you can hear this podcast on any major podcasting outlet, Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, you can listen to this show. I want to thank everyone who has listened to the first couple episodes. And believe it or not, next week is already episode number five. So I really want to appreciate all the support that I've been getting. And again, here are the socials, Birdland History on Twitter, my personal Twitter, Andy Snacks, S-N-A-K-S. You can email me at 
historyofbirdland at gmail.com. You have any suggestions for the show, hit me up on there. Next week, I think we're going to do something a little different, and that's uh, I'm going to do a show on something that I wasn't alive for at the time. If you've looked at all these episodes here at the beginning of this podcast, everything that we've done or that I've done has been something that I've been alive for. Maybe not the oldest, but I've been alive for it. So next week, episode five, we're going to do a player profile on the great Mike Cuellar, who was a huge part of the Orioles' success in the 60s, 70s. Great pitcher, maybe one of the most underrated pitchers in Orioles history, but we're going to go through Mike Cuellar's career uh, before and after Baltimore and during Baltimore. Everything that you could think of with Mike Cuellar, we're going to discuss next week, so I hope you tune in. Again, socials, Birdland History, Andy Snacks, historyofbirdland at gmail.com, and I will be back next week with another episode, this time a player profile on Mike Cuellar.